So Joel has been teaching uh, a series the last few weeks called Unstoppable Church. Uh, we're taking a little break from that, but what we're talking about is actually related. Uh, what we're talking about this morning is actually what does uh, stop the church a lot of times. Um, and I'm certainly not contradicting Joel. Uh, what he's saying about when we have the power of the Holy Spirit that the church is unstoppable is absolutely true. But unfortunately, sometimes we ourselves can stop what the goal of the church is, which is to make God known to people, to glorify God. We ourselves can actually stand in the way of that. And that's uh, what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, many of you guys might have seen the mailer that the garden sent out uh, a few months ago. I love it. Ever since I first saw it, it says, uh, as like a picture of the leaf and the little like garden symbol or whatever. And it says, the garden a church for people who have given up on church. And I just love that. When I first saw that, I was like, that's a great thing because so many people have given up on church. So many people have had bad experiences in a church before. Um, but that got me thinking a little bit for this message about why have people given up on church? What are the reasons why people um, don't, who maybe grew up in the church, haven't stayed there or have left for various reasons, why has that happened? So I want this morning to be uh, pretty interactive. So I want to hear a lot of feedback from you guys. And we're going to be asking some questions. So we'll just start off with that one. Why have people given up on church? You can shout it out or raise your hand, whatever. Let's just get some ideas up here on the board. Why have people given up on church? Hurts. Hurts? Hypocrisy or perceived hypocrisy? Okay. That's great. Oh, boy, this is a tough one to spell. Did I get it right? Yes. All right. It's okay. I'm an English teacher. Okay. Yeah, Erica. Good. Good. So people think it's not relevant. That's great. We'd do a whole sermon on any one of these, I bet. Maybe Joel will sometime. All right, what else? Judgmentalism. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's one of the best parts of church, right, is getting to judge the other people in the church? <laughs> Maybe not? Okay. What else do we have? We have hurts, hypocrisy, uh, it not being relevant or being seen as irrelevant, judgmentalism. Anything else? Okay, okay. So maybe people don't think it's illogical? Okay. Okay. I was going to say closed-mindedness, which is probably close to that one. Yeah. Sometimes a, an unwillingness to engage in discussion. Good. So you mean a lot of times people inside the church are unwilling to engage in real conversations with other people? Okay. All right. Um, all of these are great. All of these are totally true. I'll give you a hint. There's one more that I'm looking for. It's actually the name of the sermon. If you guys, if you guys want to look at your papers. What do you guys think? Yeah, disunity within the church. Disunity within the church can be a huge turnoff for people uh, who have grown up in the church. So I wanted to ask a few questions about um, to see where we have come from 
in our church history because uh, some of us have grown up in church, some of us haven't grown up in church. A lot of us have different experiences. I kind of want to get a, let us get a feel for that. So you guys can just show by raising your hands. Um, has anybody here in their lives been part of a church that is split? Been part of a church that's divided? Couple? Okay. Has anybody been part of a church that's had divisions within the church and groups that fought or competed with each other? Any of those? A few more? Okay. Has anybody um, been in a church where you've heard people in the church badmouth or gossip about each other? Lots of hands on that one. Yeah. Okay. So those are some of the things um, that can push people away from church. Think about it. If you don't know who God is, you don't really know if he's real or not, you start coming to church, or maybe you're a kid, and you go to church because your parents are going, and that's what you see around you. You see people around you sniping at each other, uh, saying bad things about each other. You see fighting and division. Are you going to think, hmm, these people are definitely from God? Probably not. Okay, and Jesus actually said something uh, that's very relevant to this in uh, the book of John, chapter 13. This is, uh, Jesus is in the upper room. He's having like his last dinner before he's crucified. So he's telling a lot of very important things to his followers. And he says in John 13, uh, verses 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus says, if you care about each other, if you treat each other well, that is how people are going to know that you're legit. That is how people are going to know that you're real followers of God, is if you treat each other well. But the way I see it, and you guys might agree, the opposite of that is also true. If people see us treating each other badly, if they see us bad-mouthing each other, hurting each other, causing divisions with each other, that is proof in their eyes that God is not true, that the gospel is not true. And so I hope that that's motivation for us um, just to see how important that is, um, that we love each other. And so we're going to keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that at the end of the sermon. But that is one of the main reasons why it is so important that we have unity and so important that we love each other. So <clears throat> we're going to take a step back now and we're going to talk a little more specifically about the things that can cause disunity in a church. So we're going to look back at the verse we started with in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read the first few verses of that. And this gives us a list of all kinds of things uh, that can cause disunity in a church and the ways that God doesn't want us to live. So starting with verse 8, <clears throat> it says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after, its image, after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, sorry, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay. So it tells us a lot of the things in those few verses that lead to disunity. So going from this verse, but also just from your own experiences, let's talk about some of the things that can cause disunity in a church. 
And you can go all over the spectrum here. You can talk about a concept like anger, or you can talk about something more specific like the kinds of hairdos that we have. Anything that you have seen or that you know can cause disunity in a church. So just shout them out. Let's get some. Yeah, that's a big one. That was one of the, the first ones that I thought about. Okay, we can all fight about whether the music is too loud or too soft or whether God can only be worshipped with an organ or whether he can't be worshipped with an organ, whatever. Music is a huge one, unfortunately, for us. I think especially in the last 20 years, it's something that the church really has to, to look out for is disunity caused by the music issue. That's great. What else? Erica? Ah, attire. I like that word. That's a big word. All right. Or we could just say clothes, what we wear. All right. We're not all rocket scientists here, Erica. All right. So clothes. All right. Real quick. Uh, sorry. Go ahead, Toshio. No, go ahead. I want to hear it. What would you say? Okay. We'll, we'll come back to you. Okay. So uh, clothes. How many of you, by a raising of a hand, have seen yourself or someone else in a church get judged because of what they are wearing? Lots of hands again. Lots of hands again. All right. We're working to change that. Okay, so we got music, clothes, what else? Women's roles. Women's roles, yeah. Women's roles in a church. And that, I think, would be maybe a subsection of something bigger. We could say doctrine. Doctrine of all kinds. And let me just camp there for just a second. Doctrine is something that we have to be careful with because there are some doctrines that are worth, I don't want, necessarily want to say dividing over, but that we have to put our foot down over. We have to follow God's word. And if there's someone teaching in the church against God's word, we can't just fluff over it in the name of unity. We have to address things that directly go against God's word. But there are other doctrinal issues where we can have different opinions or different perspectives and still all be on the same team. And so I think that's something we might talk about at home groups some this week, is where is that line drawn between the big doctrinal issues that we have to see eye to eye on and the less important ones that it's okay to have some differences of opinion. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Carrie. Okay, so we have music, clothes, uh, doctrinal stuff. What else? What else causes divisions within a church? Toshio? What makes people in church not like each other or not get along? Confusion? Okay, okay, maybe that could be part of it, being confused or not understanding each other. I think it's very true. John, sorry, I cut you off. Race and culture, excellent. We're going to touch on that quite a bit. Race and culture. Ah, good, good. So would you say maybe along with that maybe power? Like people trying to, to get power or get their way? Excellent. Yeah. I'm sorry? Rituals. Excellent. Yep. Sometimes a church can make rituals more important than people. Yeah. Erica? I think that, yeah, that'd probably fall under doctrine, but that can also fall under the way that we treat people. That's also a big part of it. Yep. 
because you can disagree with someone without treating them like dirt, and that's something that the church doesn't always get right. Okay? Yeah, Mark? Finances, yeah. That can look a lot of different ways. That can look like the church trying to control people or people disagreeing about how to use the money. Should we use it to get stained glass windows for the rec center or to get Joel a haircut? <laughs> that caused a lot of division in the early months of this church. So, um, okay, what else? Yeah. Absolutely. That's an excellent one. Great. Anything else? Okay, I think we got quite a few big ones. There, I'm sure there's more that we can add, but we'll stick with this list for right now. And we're going to be going back again through that verse in Colossians chapter 3, because Paul tells us a lot of the things that cause divisions right here in this verse. So we're going to just go through it a little bit and look at some of them one by one. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice. Okay, we'll stop right there and look at those ones. All right. How many of you guys have ever been mad at somebody before? Me. Who has ever been mad at somebody else in the church before? Not necessarily this church, but in, in a church that you've been a part of. Yeah, probably quite a few of us. All right. We all get angry. All right. And when we get angry... We want to we wanna hurt people. Now, might not always be physically hurting people, but maybe wishing bad things on them, maybe wanting to see them made look foolish, maybe wanting to get back at them, or maybe just festering and holding a grudge. The Bible talks about that. The book of Proverbs has some great things to say about anger, about holding grudges, and about taking revenge on people. Um, there's also... In the Lord's Prayer that we read this morning, it addressed this a little bit. It said, forgiving people um, who have sinned against us the same way that God has forgiven our sins. And that's a huge part of having unity, is being able to forgive one another. Because if you're in a church long enough, someone in that church is going to offend you. Someone in that church is going to hurt you. Because <clears throat> uh, there's an old uh, kind of cliche, it says, if you ever find the perfect church leave because you're going to ruin it. And that's very true. All of us are fallen, broken people, and at some point, we're going to hurt each other. Even good people, good Christians who love each other, will it sometimes hurt or offend each other. And we have to be able to forgive. We have to be able to let things go and not hold grudges against each other. Um, also, something that I see all the time as a teacher. All right, so uh, Toshio, maybe you can help us out with this, all right? In, in your school every day, if you see um, two kids get in a fight and the teacher asks what happened, like maybe you get in a fight with a kid and the teacher asks you what happened, what is the first thing that almost every kid will say? He, yeah, he did it or he started it or he hit me first. All right, as a teacher, I see this all the time. Every second grader, I don't know, maybe they teach this in first grade so all the second graders know it. I don't know. But every second grader knows that you say, he hit me first. And that's always what they say. And in their mind, that excuses it. It's okay that I knocked him out. He hit me first. It's okay that I punched him. He kicked me or he shoved me or he said something about my mom. Whatever it is, it always goes back to pointing at the other person and saying, he started it. He did it first. 
And that can be true for us in the church and us as adults as well. We can do the same thing. Maybe we don't go around hitting people, but if you ask maybe why you don't like someone, why you don't get along with someone, he did this to me, she did this to me, they started it. And I think we can have that attitude a lot of times too. But Jesus, in uh, one of the most radical things he ever said, Jesus said all kinds of crazy stuff, but very true, wonderful things too. And so let's take a look at one of the things that he says here in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Jesus is talking about loving your enemies. Now, this was totally crazy. Jesus even tells people before he gets started, he's like, you've heard it said that uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm going to tell you a different way. And this is what Jesus says. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And then if we go down a few verses later, in verse 35, he says, Love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to, ungrate- he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So basically it's saying, when you love your enemies, you're doing the same thing as God is, does. Because all of us have sinned against God. All of us have made ourselves enemies against God. But he still loved us. And he was still kind to us, even though we didn't deserve it. And so Jesus says, I want you as my followers to act in the same way. Not, not to be kind just to your friends, but to be kind to your enemies too. Is there a question? Do you have a question? How are you going to sin against God? Lots of different ways. We all do things, whether it's being mean to other people, being disrespectful to our parents, uh, anything like that is all sinning against God. And all of us have done it at one point or another. So that's one thing that hurts the unity in a church is when when we don't forgive each other, when we hold grudges against each other, and when... We hate our enemies instead of loving them. So if someone wrongs us within the church or within your family or at your workplace, Jesus tells you to do something crazy. He says, love them, pray for them, just like I have loved you when you didn't deserve it. So that's uh, my first point about anger that Paul makes here. The anger and wrath and malice and just disliking each other causes disunity within a church. If we, uh, if we keep reading that verse, Colossians 3, chapter 8, right after anger, wrath, and malice, he says, put away slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Okay, we, uh, we already talked about this a little bit. Who here, by show of hands, who has been gossiped about by someone within the church? Who has been gossiped or talked badly about by someone within a church? Okay, quite a few hands again. Okay, I won't have you raise your hands on this one because this might be a little convicting for all of us, but who here has gossiped or talked bad about someone else in the church? Let's just keep that in mind that we have been victims of this, but we have also been the ones who have done it at times too. So I don't think I need to go into this too much. We all know 
how bad it feels to have someone say something bad about us, but we still do it on a regular basis. And we have to be so careful because gossip and slander and talking about each other behind our backs will create disunity so quickly. It'll break trust. It'll break unity. We have to be so careful about that. Okay, if we uh, continue on in Colossians chapter 3, uh, it gets to verse 11, and it starts talking about some stuff that gets a little confusing. It says, here, meaning in Christianity, in the body of Christ, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay, so this was done in their culture. This was talking about things that the people at the time would have very clearly understood, but maybe looking at it today, we might not understand as well. So it's talking about there is no Greek and Jew, different racial groups. Okay, so maybe in our culture today, we would say in the church, there is no black and white and Hispanic and Asian or Middle Eastern, but we are all one. We are all one body in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here, because undoubtedly in this time, just like today, like John was talking about, there is racism or discrimination that can break apart a church. Now, some of this could be just outright racism. Oh, I don't like people because they're this or that or whatever. But some of it can be more subtle than that, too. Uh, Some of it can be just not understanding. Toshio said that one of the causes of disunity in the church is confusion. And I think that that's very true. We can be confused or not understand each other, and that can lead to disunity. Because there's differences. We're all different in so many ways, in culture, ethnicity, personality. Um, I think it was mentioned priorities. What we see is the priority within the church. We all are different in all these different ways. And at many times we might judge other people because they're different, or we might have been judged because we are different. But the Bible teaches us that different is not usually bad. Different diversity is usually a strength especially within the church. So um, in this verse, down in uh, verse 14, in uh, my version, in the English Standard Version of the Bible, instead of unity, it uses the word harmony. And I really like that word harmony because uh, it makes me think of like the whole musical thing. Now, I am not musical at all. So John or Brandon or Andre, you guys correct me if I'm off on this. But um, the way I understand harmony is harmony is not two people singing the exact same thing, right? Am I right, John? Okay, it's two, it's two different people singing two different things that blend together perfectly. Is that right? Okay, good, because my analogy would have looked really dumb if I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, in theory, in theory. But that, that's the way harmony works. That's the way that the church is supposed to work. It's not supposed to be a church full of people who are exactly the same. It's supposed to be a church full of people who are different, who all work together for the same goals. Um, So music analogy is definitely not my thing, but I I was thinking about this in terms of football, and it made a lot more sense to me. (laughs) So in football, um, so what would happen if the Ravens decided, you know, Joe Flacco is such a good player. We want to have all our players be just like Joe Flacco. 
So we were going to have a whole team just of quarterbacks. So what would happen if you had a whole team just of quarterbacks and no other positions? What would happen? Toshio, what do you think would happen? They would lose. Why would they lose? Think about it. If you, don't, if you have all quarterbacks, you have nobody to protect the quarterback. You have nobody to be a running back. You have nobody to play defense. Okay? So if, if it's the same way within a church. It's the same way within a church. If all of us are preachers, then who's going to be out there serving? If all of us are servants, then who's going to preach? You know, and this goes not only with our spiritual giftings, but I think also with our personalities and preferences as well. I was thinking, you know, what about Joel? Joel is such a great guy. What if we were all like Joel? But then we would, we would all be great preachers, and we would all have mullets, and it would just be wonderful. But, but, <laughs> but then I thought, what if, what if somebody comes into the church and this person just hates mullets. They have this huge vendetta against mullets. And all they see is people all with mullets. They might be turned off to the gospel and they might leave. <laughs> Silly analogy, but I think we can see how this applies to real life. If all of us, for example, were big into sports, who would befriend the people who were musical or artistic and didn't care about sports? If all of us um, were very... Uh, very conservative or very liberal, who would reach out to the others? If all of us had the same uh, political ideology or whatever it might be, if all of us were exactly the same, it limits who we can befriend and who we can reach out to. So there's strength in our diversity. Yeah, is there a question? Um, well, then we'd all be really good skateboarders, and that would be cool but maybe there's somebody who doesn't like skateboarding, and so they wouldn't, wouldn't care. They wouldn't get to know about God. Okay, so uh, moving on from that, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 5, talks about this, and it says, In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. If you want to get, dig into this a little bit deeper, you can read in Romans chapter 12, and I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it talks about the diversity of the body and how we all have different gifts and they all work together. Each piece of our church is valuable, and there's strength in the, in the diversity of different gifts, different passions, different skills, and different ideas. Even if we disagree with someone, we can almost undoubtedly learn from them. <clears throat> so, let's look uh, at the next thing. Uh, if we look down in Colossians chapter 3, we look down at verse 12, where it's listing all the different things that we should put on. One of them particularly stood out to me, uh, because I think it has a lot to do with, with having unity in the church. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, all of these things, including humility. Humility. We're going to look for a minute at pride and what pride can do to the unity of a church. <clears throat> so, uh, when I was younger, I used to think about pride a little bit differently. Uh, I used to think that pride meant bragging about how great you were all the time. Um, but 
as I've grown, I've uh, kind of discovered that in myself, pride is a lot of times more subtle than that. A lot of times it's not bragging or showing off or something like that, although those things can happen too. But a lot of times pride and consequently disunity starts within my own thoughts. It starts with the way that I think about the people around me, whether that's at work or at church or in my family or wherever. It starts with what we think about people. So maybe I have grown up all my life in the church and I know, yo, you shouldn't talk bad about people. That's wrong. That's just wrong. But I think bad about people all the time. I think about how I'm better than them, maybe about how I'm cooler than them, or maybe I criticize their ideas or their, their methods of doing things within the church. All of those things, when we just allow ourselves to fester on these things and just mull on, oh, this person is so wrong about this, or I can't stand the way this person does this, and we, in our mind, we're slowly puffing ourselves up and making ourselves out to be better than that person is. That's pride. And that will cause division within the church. And I have seen in my life, um, this one probably convicts me more than anything, in my life when I have had trouble being unified with other believers, it usually comes back to my own pride. Um, when, uh, one time I had some friends in college um, and we were on a trip together in Jordan for a few months and uh, we had some differences of opinions about things. Um, about what we should or shouldn't be allowed to do. We had some differences uh, about what you might call Christian liberties. And I was on the more conservative side of things. They were doing things that they thought God was fine with them doing and they thought didn't directly go against the Bible. But I disagreed with them on that. Now that's, that's okay for me to disagree with them, right? The Bible doesn't ask us to always agree on every little thing. But where my mistake started was when I began seeing myself as better than them because I had this different opinion than them. First uh, Corinthians talks about this a lot. It talks about how different people have <clears throat> uh, sometimes can disagree on what is or isn't permissible for Christians. Now most of the things the Bible lays out pretty clearly for us. If somebody says, well, I have a difference of opinion about theft than you do. I think it's okay for the Christian to steal. They're just making stuff up. That's not legit. But if it's something where, they're where the Bible really isn't clear about it, and there really can be an honest difference of opinion, then the Bible says that we need to be understanding and gentle and bear with one another. Um, you can read more about it in 1 Corinthians, I think, 14, maybe 12, 14, somewhere in there. Um, about how we need to bear with and understand each other. But in this instance uh, with my teammates in Jordan, I didn't do that. Definitely not as well as I could have. I puffed myself up, thought that I was better than them in some ways, and that led to disunity. And disunity, when you get to be fighting against each other, it takes you away from what the real mission is, which is making Christ known and glorifying him. So, <clears throat> now we're, uh, we're going to move on and read through chapter, or, sorry, verses 12 through 14 again. It says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, or as it some would translate it, gentleness, patience, 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, now, let's switch gears a little and talk about what are the things that we can do to create unity. What are things that we can do within the body to create unity and to build it up? We won't spend too long on this, but let's just get a few ideas and maybe talk about this a little more at home groups this week. What are things that we can do to build unity with each other? Yeah? That's great. Gathering outside church. Great. Okay. What else? Yeah. Prayer partnerships. That's excellent. Praying for someone. Praying with someone. Any other thoughts? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go to someone if you have a problem, not gossip about them. I think the Bible talks about this in a couple different places. It talks about, you know, if you have a problem with your brother in the church, first go to them and see if, um, if you can resolve things between the two of you. And if that doesn't work, if they won't listen to you, go back with someone else from the church. And then uh, only after you've taken those steps to try to reconcile things does it look more at um, getting the whole church involved if it's a, a major issue. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's great. So, yeah, so good teaching so, so that we know what, what are those doctrines, what are the things in the Bible that we can't disagree on, and what are the things that it's okay to have a difference of opinion on. That's great. Yeah. Uh, one thing that came to my mind was listening and learning from each other. Um, sometimes we can be very proud and uh, think that we know all that there is to know or that so-and-so doesn't have a clue, but when we take time to listen, we find out, I can really learn from this person if I'm humble enough to accept it. It's great. Okay, so let's look at this list of things and then also think about this list of things, whatever, things we should do and things we shouldn't do. All right, I'm sure all of us can look at this and realize that we haven't been doing all that we can in this area, in uh, the things that we can do for each other. And I'm sure all of us can look at this passage where it talks about things like anger, gossip, lying, 
um, pride, discrimination. I'm sure all of us can look at that and God will tug on something in our hearts because none of us are perfect in those areas either. And so even as, even as Christians, we can't do this in our own strength. Even in Christians, we can't always force ourselves to be loving and gentle and patient. I'm sure all of us can see from experience that it's just too hard. We just can't do it on our own strength. And that's where really the essence of the whole Bible is, the whole gospel. In this passage in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Throughout the Bible, it doesn't just tell us, get better, fix yourself. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't just say, you need to do all these things better, and then you will be acceptable to God. No. It says we are loved by God as sinners. We are loved by God even though we've done all these things against him and against each other. But we have the gospel to give us a new hope. Jesus Christ came and he died for me gossiping against the other person in the church. He died and took my punishment for having proud thoughts. He died for that, taking our sin away, taking it on himself so that we can be forgiven. And when Jesus was raised to life three days later, it symbolizes the way that we have new life. The Bible says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And the Bible also teaches, like Joel's been uh, talking about these last few weeks, about how we receive the Holy Spirit. And it's by the Holy Spirit and by his power that we can be patient, that we can be loving, that we can be unified. Because I don't think that we can do that on our own strength or in our own power. We can't just force ourselves to be better people. And if we do force ourselves to be better people, then we're going to be proud of it, which ruins the whole point. So we have to accept God's help. We have to ask for his help to be unified as a church, to love each other, and to live in the way that he laid out for us. So, to close things up, uh, I want to look a little bit at us as a church personally. I think that this passage in the Bible and this message applies both to a local church and being unified with members within the church, but also on a broader scale and churches being unified with each other, which unfortunately is, is not always the case. So I look at the garden, and I just love it because I see the garden as a new church. It's a place with a lot of excitement and a lot of passion. And so far, um, in the time that we've been here, in the past year or two, I've seen it as a church with a lot of unity, and that's a wonderful thing. We have many things in common. I think we get along well with each other, and I think, for the most part, I think we like each other. And that's such a wonderful blessing. But also, our goal as a church is not to stay with a small group of 30 or 40 people who really like each other. Our goal is to share Christ with all people. And that's going to include people that we don't have as much in common with, or that we don't have the same personalities as, or that we don't like as much, maybe, on a human level. 
we might, as this happens, we might have dis disagreements, differences in opinion. We might have different personalities and just really get on each other's nerves. That happens. People have different personalities and they rub and grind against each other. And I think we've been very fortunate so far in our, um, the youth of our church. I don't think that we've had a lot of that happen so far. But if we grow the way that we hope that we will, that's going to happen. We're going to have people who are different and we, we embrace that and we want that. But with that, we have to be prepared to, to protect unity and to all be working together and not for our own preferences or our own priorities or our own self-esteem or position within the church, but working towards God's mission. In, uh, in John 17, 23, this is again Jesus talking to his followers right before he goes to the cross. He says, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So our unity tells the world that Jesus is legit. And so what I want us to do now is uh, we're going to spend about five minutes or so praying. Uh, if everybody can just get into groups of like five or so people, and I want us to pray for two main things. One, I want us to pray that we will have unity within this church, that we won't have fighting and gossiping and backbiting um, and sabotage of each other. And secondly, I want to pray for uh, the Garden's unity with other churches and for the unity of the Church of Baltimore as a whole, that we will be able to work together and, uh, and have unity with each other. So let's go ahead and take about five minutes to do that, and then we'll come back and take communion together. So get into groups of about five or so, and we can get started. So to wrap things up this morning, uh, if I can find my notes, sorry. Okay. I'm just going to read a verse that we looked at during the sermon, John 17, 23. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Amen. Amen.